Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Hi, it's Claire here. You're used to hearing me on Money Clinic, but now... You can find me in your inbox, teaching you everything you need to know about money with my new Sort Your Financial Life Out course. Over six weeks, I'll help you to make smarter money decisions with tips on budgeting, tax breaks, property, pay rises and investing. In short, everything you wanted to know about managing your money, but were far too busy to ask. To find out more and sign up for the course, visit ft.com slash moneycourse. That's ft.com slash money course. If I asked you to think of what an investor might look like, chances are you might conjure up the image of my guest on the podcast today. A man, of course, sharply dressed as befitting a stockbroker in the city of London with a pair of bright red braces holding up his pinstripe trousers. I am talking, of course, about Justin Urquhart-Stewart, Known to millions as Mr. Red Braces, thanks to his many TV appearances over the years explaining the ups and downs of the investment world. However, don't let appearances deceive you. Justin might look like a city insider, but he has long argued that investing is something that should matter more to all of us, no matter how much or how little we have to invest. Plus, his views on the investment industry are bound to surprise you. Welcome to Money Clinic, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's consumer editor. I've often shared a radio or TV studio with my guest today, but this is the first time I've shared the FT podcast studio with him, and he's joining us for an investment masterclass. Welcome, Justin. Thank you. This is very exciting. Yeah, it is very exciting, and. I mean, you have a long and distinguished city career, which we'll go into shortly, but it's the red braces and the red tie that people really remember for you. And I'm glad to see that you're sporting them today. But where where did this start? Well, it keeps your trousers up to start with. But the main thing, of course, is actually making sure it's not actually being cheap and available for anyone wants to comment. Try and do that. No, it's apart from the deal. Some of the braces are my father's. um, But then you suddenly realise that actually when you've got these braces, that because they actually buttoned onto the trousers, once they're there, they stay there forever. Um, and so, you know, once you just have more trousers, more red braces turn up. Um, and so it turns almost into a sort of brand. So I don't knock it. If people know me as red braces, I've been called a lot worse. Well, 
more recently, um, you're known as the finance expert with the cat. Tell us about uh, that one. Uh, well, yes, this is uh, one of the issues that comes about when you start trying to do filming from home and uh, filming from home with my, my dear Burmese cats, who, for some reason, seem to have an amazing ability to identify when an interview is about to occur, particularly on a Zoom. And so there was no sign of any cat anywhere. But within five minutes of a Zoom starting, I'm aware of some paws trying to go up my trouser leg. <laughs> now, either I can try and deal with a cat, in which case I'll get reported to the Cat Defence League, um, or I have to lift the cat up and he or she, because there are three of them, will, will sit on my shoulder and hopefully purr quietly. But uh, we'll sit there and uh, if I'm going on too long, we'll start putting their claws into me, in which case the answers tend to get shorter, as does my patience with them as well. Well, a fantastic piece of branding, red braces <laughs> and a Burmese cat. Now, let's talk about the career of the person, the cat and the braces are attached to. Now, you started off training as a barrister, but you ended up entering the financial world. You spent much of your career at Barclays, where you specialise in personal investing. How did this journey happen? Well, I'm, I would have been the world's worst barrister had I actually done it at all. My pupil master, when I was doing my training, said, Justin, you realise there's more money in crime than defending it. <laughs> so on that basis, I thought, well, where's the best crime you can go to? Well, quite obviously, financial services. That's sort of you know, polite crime, if nothing else. And also, you know, my family was never been known for much to do into with financial services. So I thought it's about time I should try and learn something about it. And actually, it's interesting, because when you come with it a completely I say novice and new and objective view of it, you don't come with all the baggage of mm. actually what's happened before. Because what you find when you go into the city in those days, pre-Big Bang, you suddenly come across this old history of this is the way we've always done it and this is the, the right way of doing it. It was a cartel, self-serving and frankly ripe for revolution. It obviously happened with the Big Bang in the 1980s under Margaret Thatcher. Now, I mean, the Big Bang is a phrase that listeners might have heard about. Why was it important? What did it mean? Well, what it did was actually broke apart the old cartel of stockbrokers and uh, jobbers, stock jobbers, we know them as now as market makers, and this cosy little world that they had between themselves and started bringing in outside investments. So what did that mean? Well, it meant banks, who else would be stupid enough to invest in the, these firms? Um, and so primarily the American banks, and they could see, oh, well, here's the London market, very international, much more international than anyone else in the world. We'll invest into this. And then also being able to put together merchant banks or investment banks with these stock jobbers, with the uh, brokering firms. And so you had all the main banks actually pouring large amounts of money in comparison with today. It sounds relatively small, but in those days, it was a lot of money investing in things they didn't really understand. So whether it was Barclays or NatWest or whatever, they spent a fortune buying these broking firms, jobbing firms, and putting together with a, uh, with a, a merchant bank as well. And they nearly all failed. Absolutely dismal. Why? Because the bankers themselves didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand it. And I even know one particular broking firm who, when they sold themselves to, I suppose I shouldn't say it, but Barclays, didn't actually disclose all their assets. Well, they hadn't got much in the way of assets because they were all partnerships. In fact, the only asset they had was a very large wine cellar. <laughs> but because Barclays never asked them about it, they never told them about it. So Barclays didn't even get that. So it was a fiasco. It opened up the market and it became much more international, put more capital into it. Now, you're naturally suited to working in businesses that are client-facing with retail investors because you love to explain what investing is and why it's important. And you do it in a very witty and amusing way on the television in your red braces. But your career took 
a bit of a turn just after 2001, where you decided to leave Barclays, where you'd been there for many years, very successful, and set up with seven others your own firm, Seven Investment Management. Now, tell us a little bit more about that. And also, if it's true that to get the money together, you will remortgage your houses and Oops. hope for the best. Well, I've had all this bit of an interesting history at Barclays over the years, because originally I joined Barclays DCO, Dominion Colonial and Overseas. So you get sent over to parts of the world, almost carrying your solar topi and a big book on how to run a bank. And I ended up going to Uganda. And you sit there and think, hang on, there's a war going on. And you had to go and see one of these directors of Barclays. They said, exactly, we need more people out there. It's like an addition out of Blackadder. Unfortunately, I had a slight technical hitch there. And after a few months, I had to come back because it was a coup. And unfortunately, I got caught up in the coup. So with one leg slightly shorter than the other, I returned back to Britain. <laughs> Wasn't a very good idea. And then but a couple of years later, when they put me back together again, ended up in Singapore. But that allowed me to understand more about international trade and how that worked. And again, not investment, but really understanding the importance of how to simplify trade so people understand it. So coming back to Britain, this was then when Big Bang was coming through. It was obvious then to get involved in the retail side of that because we had the privatizations. And again, with privatizations, people didn't really understand what was going on. And the government's price the goods to go. So you were just about going to make money yes, on these things. buying shares in British Telecom. And... Exactly. And tell Sid to go and get some more British gas shares. And people did it because they made short-term money out of it. Unfortunately, what happened? So they bought them, then probably sold them again and made a quick profit. And they thought, well, maybe that's what the stock exchange and stockbroking is about. Of course, it's not. But you could educate people and say, here's a start. Now, let's take it further. <clears throat> Another good idea was setting up investment clubs so people would actually save relatively small amounts of money, not because they're going to make their fortune out of it, but if you lose 50 quid, it's fine. If you lose 2,000 pounds, that's not fine. But you'd, they could understand how shares worked. Learning by doing. Learning by doing. And with a group of chums doing it, well, you start off as chums anyway, and meeting once a month, having a drink, that actually became really quite successful. And, you know, it's gone off out of fashion now. But again, it's one of those things I would always urge people to have a go. Not taking it as a game. You can enjoy it and engage in it without taking a huge amount of risk. Mm, well, I suppose the modern day equivalent I know some of my younger friends are in WhatsApp groups yes. um, to talk about investing. And one of them will have an idea and they'll send it to the group and it will either get shot down in flames or people will start doing their own research on it, saying, well, actually, that's not a bad argument for buying this company. But let's look at some of the reasons not to buy it. Exactly. So all of that then meant, you, know, you could see we didn't have the technology in those days. So the year 2000, 2001, my business partner and myself, we were running sort of Barclays Stockbrokers. And Barclays Stockbrokers, Barclays actually taken over a business we'd set up called Broker Services, which was a white-labeled version of we were running different stockbrokers and didn't know how to run it. So we just put our label on, their label on the front of it. Barclays then ended up buying it, which was fine, but it meant that was the third time I was working for Barclays. I've resigned three times from them. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, they decided they want to introduce an inactivity fee, which is quite clever. So you get charged for doing something, and you get charged for doing nothing. So Tom and I thought, that's not on. So we're sort of saying, Tom is my business partner, who's a very un-American American. And uh, he, so he decided that was the wrong thing to do. So, yes, we, we decided to go and set up seven investment management. And we all had to, uh, yes, uh, had put mortgages on our house. Um, luckily, I'd actually bought a flat a few years before as well. So I had to actually sell that. And there you are, you start from scratch. And you have to sit down and have a discussion with the family and say, by the way, chaps, I'm afraid we're not going to have a great deal of money for a while because these were difficult times. You didn't pay yourself a fortune. And it's a very interesting exercise as to test people as to how their understanding and patience and uh, really, are they willing to be with you to go through those bad times? 
and you come through the other side and you get uh, your money back and that's fine. And it teaches you about the tough side of capitalism, but how successful it can also be. Now, it's been more than 20 years since you did quit your job at Barclays and set up Seven Investment Management. Of course, Seven Investment Management, the firm, carries on, Uh although you sold out a couple of years ago, which is one of the reasons why you do have more time to focus on your big passion topic, financial literacy, because you love talking about money and investing. It's what makes you a great broadcaster. And I've seen you um, at, at events just talking to people in the room who are investors, asking them questions, finding out what their experiences are and listening to what they want. If you had to go into a school for Flick, that's the FT's financial literacy and inclusion campaign or charity, and deliver a money lesson to a class of indifferent teenagers, shall we say, uh-huh. what would you talk about to them? Ah, I'd, two things you can go about. A, just talk about some of the history of financial cock-ups over the years. <laughs> And these go right the way back to Roman days and things like that, or even you know, the Dutch getting so excited that they actually managed to invest in tulip bulbs and what happened there and the whole thing went disastrously wrong. And so there's nothing new about financial disasters. We're very good at financial disasters. Actually, the Romans were actually much better at managing their banks far more effectively because it's very simple. If you're the person running what their equivalent as a bank was and they weren't doing it very well, you were killed. Um, so I can't see it, the FCA introducing that one. Well, no, but it would have meant actually that probably the Royal Bank of Scotland wouldn't have had that same problem, and probably the chap running it, who you know, probably uh, would be a darn sight more circumspect over what he's going to be doing with the investments. No, but the point is, I'm afraid investment corruption and theft and such like is, is not uh, uh, new at all. So go back and te- teach people actually what has, what has happened with that. But then also say, right, let's take our position of your family. And you just draw a picture of your family. And what does the average British family consist of? Now, as individuals, you've all got a certain amount of money. Actually, how much is your family worth if you put it together? They may not speak to each other, but okay, let's just um, imagine what they've, some have got houses. And as a family, you could actually manage your debt far more easily. You know, a lot of people are going to be sitting there and say, I can't get a mortgage. I can't, don't qualify. I don't have a deposit for a mortgage. The family does. So actually start saying to people, right, draw me your family and we'll just actually take your family, take it through this and see actually what your family's worth. Then what we'll do is let's take some of those assets and we'll pretend that we can actually get a return of X percent, 7 percent, and what that's going to be worth over time. And over time, we're going to get to that figure. And what's that going to give you as a family in terms of your pension for the next 10 years? And so you can make it into something which is fun, interesting, turn into a game, but behind it is something which is logical and sound. And nearly all the times I find myself in schools talking about it, I find myself talking to the parents, not the kids, because their one's told them. And do that, and then it comes, it comes alive to me, it becomes you know, something which we've all had to experience, mm. but without the technical language or the patronising git, particularly the patronising git in red braces. Well, Justin, I'm just going to play devil's advocate here a bit. I mean, Obviously, we all know about how the bank of mum and dad is funding um, a good number of first-time buyers to get on the housing ladder. I think more and more in the cost of living crisis, people are having problems. They are going to their families, to their parents, their grandparents, their siblings, and asking to be helped over a financial bump in the road. But then there are some people whose families can't help them, can't afford to. They aren't there. You could be in a single-parent family could be somebody who's recently arrived in this country and is having to send money home. I mean, Mm. how would you 
make that kind of lesson relevant for, for them. Uh, same thing in many ways in terms of, uh, let's scale it right the way down to you as an individual. I'm on my own. I've arrived here. All I've got, I've, hopefully I've got somewhere to live, uh, but I'm going to have to pay some rent on it. I've got a job going. What are the priorities I've got to have? Do I have people to look after here or back back in uh, my my home country? And do I have to send money back to that? So what I need to be able to do is just start writing down a little financial plan. Because what it does is once you've written down in terms of what have I got to achieve, what have I got coming in, what have I got going out, it gives you that one word that runs any economy, whether you're ICI or whether you're just I. It is confidence. And you have that confidence of saying, at least I know what I've got. I think it was share, I know where sun I and share what it was. You know, mm. I know I haven't got a lot, at least I know what have I got. So then you can say, right, okay, so if I start putting that much aside, I've got a little bit more money saved, I can actually start doing some more with it. And over actually a few months, it starts building up. And it's amazing, actually, just over a few months, suddenly the things begin to change. You suddenly start having a bit more confidence. I'm not wealthy, but I'm a bit stronger than I was before. Mm. And it gives them control of it as opposed to the fear of actually saying, oh, I've got to pay off the, you know, that, that other loan coming through or someone's going to be banging on the door for it and getting people away from, that, from the, 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 the financial scum you don't want to be dealing with. But also, there are people who could be really helpful, like some of the credit unions, which you barely ever get to hear about, who can provide you with not information, but good access to, to cheap finance and reasonable saving and savings elements. And you, you start having a better understanding yourself. Give yourself that confidence. So just start building up as an individual doing it, and maybe talk to some friends about it, because you'll find it in exactly the same position. And very quickly, and it will just take several months. And suddenly, if you just suddenly got a few hundred quid building up, and you think, Actually, I can start doing this. Now, people who are investing regularly, we know that that's what lots of people who listen to this podcast do, even if it is small sums of money. But another problem that I've talked to you a lot about over the years is the advice gap. These people who have some money to invest, but they can't afford the services of a financial advisor or a wealth manager to give them help and advice about what to do. Now, to all of the people listening who are going down the DIY route, what pearls of wisdom would you impart to them? What you need to be able to have, actually, in my view, is actually a financial planner. It helps you plan doing things. So not so much the investing. What are the bits you need to have in place? What are the Lego bricks I need to have in order to start growing things? Insurance, mortgage, protection, all those sort of things, as opposed to just straightforward investing. So... You can't afford the, the advice yourself, mm -hmm. the wealth manager. So, number one, maybe it's the family that could actually do so. Certainly, a family in Scotland used to be an old, used to be the sort of family lawyer was the we used to go to who were trying. They weren't very good, but at least it coordinated some of the legal aspects together. Certainly, you could do that with financial planners now to coordinate that family, and so the cost is shared across that. Now, if you're an individual, you can't afford that. Good news is, actually, there are a lot of good places you can go to, like the FT, to be able to get information, which is credible information and direction as to what to do, and advice lines where you can write in or call in and get some views and opinions. So you have to put in some homework. But the good news is, never before have you had quite so much information and commentary available. The bad news is, you've actually got to go and find it and make sure you're talking to the right people. And again, this is where AI comes in. You're never quite sure, are you always talking to the right people? Check it. You'll be able to find out quite quickly. Now, your style of dress, Justin, means that people might associate you with conventional investments like stocks and shares. But I wondered, what do you think of Bitcoin? 
oh, absolutely outrageous. There is something which has been dreamt up as a computer algorithm, highly expensive to run and develop, takes an enormous amount of electrical power. So environmentally, it's dreadful. It's tradable, uh, but it goes up and down like a yo-yo the entire time. The regulators are being sort of forced to try and run it. But unfortunately, what's happened is because youngsters have come in and said, look what I can do with this. I can trade this very easily. It goes up and down. They think this is investing. No, it's punting. And it's punting on something which is potentially very dangerous. But they think it could make them rich. But they could be, exactly. So, but I'd regard that as a financial version of horse racing without the fun. No, investing does have various disciplines to it, some of which may say in comparison sounds quite dull, but it's slow and steady over time. I have no problem at all with someone wants to go off and have a punt on something exciting, even Bitcoin if they wish, but it's with a tiny amount of money. What's the definition of tiny amount of money? amount they can afford to lose. Mm. So we need much more education to under people understand what goes on and the regulators need to be sharp on it as well. You need regulators to be proactive. In reality, every investor makes mistakes. How can we learn from these? Me too. <laughs> Do I buy things which have gone wrong from time to time? The answer is yes. And so the answer is from experience, listening to others, so actually what's happened, also some common sense, too good to be true, and all that usual line. And so it is that, that sort of experience. And the more you can learn from others, which is why things like investment clubs can be useful, you can actually learn to steer clear of it. Quite often, you see, every year there will be another area of the market or geographical area where suddenly everyone wants to pour money into. Over the past few years, China was a great place to invest in until you actually saw actually how China was running some of their markets. ESG, more recent one. Oh, ESG, yes. We have the environmental, sustainable and governance. Everyone says that's a great thing to have. Or does it turn into a sort of greenwash? It just becomes a fashion fad. Those vogues in investment. Yeah, exactly. What about AI? That's a more recent buzzword. Yes, and of course, you know, to AI, to most people, what do you actually mean? And I've, I was terrified when I actually looked at some of the, the school kids and sh they had already been using AI for the past year or so, with chat box and things like that, to be able to actually get their essays written. And I thought, this is for the future. No, it's already operating now. Um, and so AI takes things into a different dimension where you have to be really careful about what you're reading, where it's from, and who's to say that someone isn't actually going to be using AI to re rewrite what you've just been saying. So how do you regulate it? I have to say, I don't have an easy answer to that. You're just going to have to make sure your cynicism levels, antenna, are very, very sharp indeed. And any rules of thumb for investors that you'd like to highlight? Well, basic, basic things. I know, first of all, do you understand what's going on? If you don't understand it, don't do it. Some simple, straightforward logic, not as an investment advisor or anything like that, just sit there and say, that doesn't need to make sense to me. So you'll be amazed at your common sense. Just follow your nose and you'll be surprised what happens. If it doesn't smell right, then also check with other people. There are lots of other people you can check things out with just to say, does this sound right? With more conventional investments, um, tell me about the rule of 72. Ah, yeah, there are some basic rules like this, which I think are quite fun. The rule of 72 is divide into 72 the sort of percentage return you think you're going to get. So let's assume we're not going to get this, but let's assume we get 10% return. Fantastic. So 10 into 72 goes roughly 7. What it means is my money's going to double in seven years. Right, okay. So I can actually sit there and say, well, if I've got this amount of money then, so every seven years I've suddenly gone from £100, I say I'm going to go £200, £400. Now, if you're dealing with a pension scheme and you're going over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, this makes a huge difference. So suppose you're getting 
let's say, 4, 5, 6, 7% return after charges, which is quite feasible, say about 5%. And if you can get in 5%, and over those decades, you can see with the rule of 72 how quickly it's growing, that's going to give you the confidence of knowing that by the time you do want to retire or have to retire, to actually say, actually, I've got a reasonable sum here, and I can then see how long that's actually going to last me. So a simple little number like that can say, suddenly take away the horrors of, oh, I'm sitting here with a calculator. I know what I'm doing here. Just some simple maths like that. And actually, life becomes a lot easier. Mm, but I mean, I think even people listening who are investing into stocks and shares ISAs, they're being their own investment manager now mm. in their 20s, 30s, 40s. They're building up this knowledge. It's not going to come the day where they're in their 50s and 60s and starting to access pensions or think about managing them into their retirement where investment management is going to be a new thing mm. for them. It's something that they're going to feel more comfortable and confident doing. Absolutely. And of course, that they are the first generation who are actually in that position because their parents were never in that position. Now things have changed. Good news, we're living longer. Bad news, we're living longer. Because now we've actually got to start uh, actually paying for it because someone's changed the pension rules again, and they always do. So those pension responsibilities aren't down to the company or the government, down to you. So we've got to now learn how to try and manage it. So everything that was there for your parents has now changed radically. So you can't blame them for not understanding it because it wasn't the same. They didn't have anything to understand. In yeah, any case. and it was, which it was a nice little world to live in, albeit it was mm. a shorter lifespan. So now you've actually got to spend a lot more time trying to do it. And you know, the good news is you've got more choice of things to do. But again, more choice means you've got more understanding of what to do. What you want is something which is a predictable, even, dare I say, as boring as possible. What you want to do, be able to do is get whatever pension plan or investment plan you've got to be able to open the box and go, da-da, it's there. As opposed to opening it up and go, what? Where's it gone? So taking the risk and mystery out of it, putting some fun into it, but fun only for a little bit, because this is not, as I say, horse racing, but for help learning and doing things, but the rest of it just giving you and your family some confidence that you're going to be okay. It may not be perfect, but it's in a better state than if I'd done nothing at all. Now, we've talked a lot about making financial plans, but of course, if there's one thing we can't plan, is the ups and downs of life. And you are, just in somebody who really knows what it's like to be hit by a curveball from accidents that you've had on archaeological digs in, in Uganda to more recent events, perhaps, in your personal life. It's important to plan for the worst happening, but we also need to make sure that we enjoy life while we have it. Oh, and... That this is where your investment is, up to me, one of the most important things. It liberates you to be able to say, I can have some fun and enjoy myself with this. It doesn't mean you're going to blow the whole lot. But actually, you can then start spending, making sure I can book time aside and money aside to go do the things I want to do. You, none of us are going to sit there and just turn into some terrible old Scrooge sitting there putting money aside the entire time and just hopefully having a pile of coppers actually rising. What you want to be able to do is use it and have some fun with your family and friends or socially and going out and doing some positive things. It's good for you, it's good for your family. And dare I say, it sounds awfully sort of blurry, good for society as well. Well, Justin Urquhart-Stewart, thank you very much for joining me today on this Investment Masterclass. Thank you, it's been a great pleasure. That's it from Money Clinic today, and we hope you like what you've heard. We're always looking to chat with people about their money issues for the show, so if you're interested in being part of a future episode, then email us. Our address is money at ft.com. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Tamara Kamornik. 
The sound design is by Breen Turner and our editor is Manuela Saragossa. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music and Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And finally, our usual disclaimer, Money Clinic Podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.